Welcome, welcome to part six of our discussion of the Rasa Panchadhyaya, the five chapters of Rasa Lila of the Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 10. I continue to be with you from Poland, um, where just an hour ago, we had a quite, yeah, windy snowstorm. There was no snow, and now everything is covered with snow. <laughs> um, the storm is over, so hopefully we will not have an electrical cut but I did want to mention that possibility because it is known to happen here on occasion. Um, I'm more familiar with load shedding in India, but even here in Poland, it's not load shedding, it's, I don't know, something else. But anyway, in case I suddenly drop out, uh, then that's likely the reason. Okay, let us begin uh, with our prayers. Om Recording in progress. Om Timarandasya Jnananjana Shalakaya Chakshurun militam yena, tasmai shigurave namaha. Shi chaitanyamano vishtam, stapitam yena bhutale, svayam rupa kadamahyam, dadati svapadantikam. Vandeham shikuru. Shri Yutta Parakamalam, Shri Gurun Vaishnavangscha, Shri Rupam Sagrajatam, Sahagana Raghunatang Vitam Tang Sajivam, Sadvaitam Savadutam, Parijana Sahitam Krishna Chaitanya Devam, Shri Radha Krishna Padan, Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakan Vitangscha Nama Om Vishnu Padaya Krishna Prishtaya Bhutale Shimate Bhaktivedanta Swamin Itinamine Namaste Saraswati Devi Gauravani Pracharine Nirvishesha shunyavadi paschatyadeshatarini Vanchakalpatarubhyascha kripasindubhya evacha patitanam pavanebhyo vaishnavebhyo namo namaha He Krishna Karuna Sindhu Dinabando Jagatpate Gopesha 
Gopika Kanta Radha Kanta Namostate Tapta Kanchana Gorangi Radhe Brindavaneshwari Rishabhanu Sute Devi Pranamami Hari Priye Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhar Shiva Sadi Gora Bhakta Rinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Narayanam Namaskritya Naram Chaganarottamam Deving Sarasutting Vyasam Tato Jayamudirai Nashta Prayeshvabhadreshu Nityam Bhagavata Sevaya Bhagavati Uttama Shloke Bhaktir Bhavati Naishtiki Srimat Bhagavatam Puranam Amalang Yat Vaishnavanam Priyam Yasmin Paramahangsyam Ekam Amalang Yanang Param Giyate Tatragyana Viraga Bhakti Sahitam Naishkarmyam Abhishkritam Tatshinvansupatan Vicharana Paro Bhaktiya Vimuchenara Srimad Bhagavatam is the spotless Purana. It is most dear to the Vaishnavas because it describes the pure and supreme knowledge of the Paramahamsas. This Bhagavatam reveals the means for becoming free from all material work. Together with the processes of transcendental knowledge, renunciation, and devotion. Anyone who seriously tries to understand Srimad Bhagavatam, who properly hears and chants it with devotion, becomes completely liberated. So, welcome back. We are beginning our second week of Discussion of the Rasa Panchadhyaya, the five chapters of the Rasa Lila. Uh, I trust you're all well and you had a um, regenerative weekend. Um, <clears throat> last week we read fairly quickly through the five chapters, one after another, verse by verse. Translations, mainly just the English translations. We also read uh, some of the purports, not so many, um, some of the shorter purports, because, or one reason being that we wanted to make sure we get through all five chapters um, in sequence, uh, 
And it's good to read the Bhagavatam in this way sometimes, just to read the translations to get uh, a feeling of the sequence, the how the especially for for the narrative sections, how the um, how the story is unfolding. And in this case, we certainly have a story. We have a narrative uh, interspersed with some two questions from Maharaj Prikshit, one in the beginning, one near the end, or one near the beginning, one near the end, uh, with some theological discussion and also with a song in the very middle section of the Rasalila, we have the Gopi Gita, as the gopis are singing to Krishna, uh, expressing their feelings of love, and especially their feelings of love in separation, and they're uh, presenting their plea to Lord Krishna to again appear to them. Um, so, another reason for just reading through the verses last week is that we want to spend more time this week on purports and commentaries. We have translations, fortunately. Well, I have uh, with me here the translation of Srila Vishwanath Chagavari Thakur, uh, done by His Holiness Banu Swami, and also translation of uh, the mm, Brihad Vaishnava Toshini of Srila Sanatan Goswami, I believe also by uh, Sri Banu Swami. I'd have to check, but I believe so. He's a very prolific translator. Um, <clears throat> So, uh, before we enter into some of these purports and commentaries, though, I wanted to say a few things in a more general way. Um, yeah, we wanted we want to discuss commentaries, but also I think we we will have some discussions of specific themes that come up, um, issues, questions, uh, possibly problems uh, that come up. <clears throat> and this is quite open-ended. I don't as yet have such a specific plan for this, but um, we will see how it goes as we go along. We might also touch on some hmm, sort of peripheral po points. We might, these may not be major issues, but there can be points of interest that come up. As we said in the beginning of our discussion last week, uh, it's, it's very nice that we have the t uh, both weeks, two weeks to kind of stretch uh, to give a bit more time for this most important section of the Bhagavatam. Uh, 
and having said that, we might also feel like two weeks is actually not enough um, <laughs> because uh, these passages, these chapters are so rich. So I'm sort of taking liberty to choose a few verses to focus on, and these will include uh, the four verses which you have for memorization from within the Rasa Panchadhyaya. So this will include from chapter 29, we will have verse number 15, uh, from chapter 31, we will have verse number 9. From chapter 33, we will have two verses, uh, verse 29 and 39. And um, in addition to other verses, I want to add as... Uh, I personally see as very important verses, and I can understand why the Bhaktivedanta course is not including everything, because, you know, there's so many verses that are important. Uh, but within the Rasapancha Nyaya, I would add chapter 30, verse 28. Um, which is uh, identified by the acharyas specifically as alluding to or identifying uh, Shimati Radha Rani, Anayar Radito, Nunam, and so on. And then uh, from chapter 32, as I mentioned last week, the final verse of chapter 32, uh, verse 22, niravadya in which Lord Krishna mm, confesses or expresses his feeling of inadequacy in reciprocating the love of the gopis. Mm. Yeah, uh, as I said, we will also we'll be flexible um, with the time we have as you have your particular interests and you might also have uh, concern to discuss a particular verse. So if you have suggestions, uh, please share them and we can try to include them in our discussion. Um, now, last, uh, in our last session, which we had to schedule for Saturday instead of Friday, at the end of the session, I made a suggestion for you to consider uh, a kind of hypothetical situation, but 
not an unreal, not an unlikely possibility. The idea is that you imagine that you are a tour guide in a museum, an art museum, and this art museum, perhaps, um, I don't know, what is the main, you have an art museum in Delhi or in Mumbai. In New York, there's the Metropolitan Museum of Art. It's a very imposing building. Uh, so, and they put on different exhibits. Um, they they have in their collections many, many more artworks than are on display at any one time. And also they may take, uh, they may put together an exhibit taking from other museums on loan. Uh, this is a very common practice of museums. Uh loaning different works of art, and then they'll put them together and make an exhibit. In this way, they're attracting people to come to the museum. Um, so we can imagine, I'm suggesting, an, a display, a special exhibit on the Rasa Lila. This might not only include paintings. Um, there may be sculptures. There could be We'd have to think what else there might be there. Perhaps some mandalas, some all kinds of possibilities. Uh, they might also do some Raslila performance. <laughs> um, there may be some video show, all kinds of possibilities. But my suggestion was that you, as a tour guide, are faced with the challenge of explaining the Rasalila to visitors, many of whom may have really absolutely no idea. They may have no idea who is Krishna. They may have no idea about anything. Uh, of course, there can also be visitors who know a lot, who are very mm, educated in in the tradition. Uh, maybe someone knows is familiar with the Bhagavatam. Yeah, and, and you may get visitors within that uh, range of knowing nothing and knowing so much. There can be a whole spectrum. So my question was, how would you present, let's imagine you have on the wall in the museum a particular painting of the Rasa Lila and uh, a maybe a small group of young people are coming. What is this? So how will you explain? Uh, did anyone reflect on this? Did anyone consider what you might do? Would you like to share? Uh, Hema Gopi Devi, yes. Um, Maharaj, Hare Krishna Maharaj. Hare Krishna. Uh, I, I was thinking that Unless they understand Krishna as God, they will not be able to appreciate Rasa Lila in a pure way. Mm -hmm. uh, because this is a very sensual topic, you know. So uh, they will try to see it in, they will give it a mundane twist if they cannot appreciate the person who is doing. 
So I thought that I will give them some kind of history of Krishna being God from killing a Kiputana when he was just seven months old to lifting over the hill. And then even in Rasa Mandala, he is, uh, he is between every pair and then there is three billions. So that many forms of Krishna also appear. So uh, I was thinking that instead of going into the mellow part, I would go into the God part. So mm-hmm. they, they will have some uh, uh, understanding of what is happening is correct and is possible. Hmm. Okay. Very good. Okay. So you give them kind of a, a uh, mm, high-speed introductory course <laughs> that we're talking here not about any ordinary person. We're talking about none other than Bhagavan uh, the Supreme Being. Thank you. Ananta Gorsundar Ji. I thought that uh, initially I would talk about the certainly greatness of the Lord by showing the picture Krishna is expanding between the two gopis. That mm. shows that his God, no ordinary person can do that. And mm. uh, it would be easy for people to appreciate that painting first. And then after that, I can talk about the reciprocation of the Lord, that how Lord is so great that through devotion, one can even become girlfriend of Krishna. Hmm. So Krishna accommodates, God accommodates so much of reciprocation that you can be so close to him. So he's not a God who just gives judgment. He is a God who can be so personal with with you. And that is his sweetness. Uh-huh. So in this way, all the other pictures would become very meaningful. Yeah, when they see that how Lord Lord allows us to go so close to Him. Ah, okay. So you would you would focus on one might want to say the principle of Bhagavad Gita: Yeyatamang prabadyante yaham. The Lord reciprocates. Okay, very good. Thank you, uh, Ravi Gopal Prabhu. Actually, I'll try to introduce the subject in a way that because a contemporary now, because they're youngsters, I would like to talk about uh, the intellect part of it because some very intelligent people uh, in this childhood also, they are able to grasp the things in a very nice way and also able to explain or repeat the things very nicely. Hmm. These skills come with uh, a particular uh, power. Similarly, I'll try to talk about uh, the yogic power. Basically, now across uh, the world, there are many people who are doing so many uh, impossible things as far as uh, common people are concerned. Mm -hmm. And uh, coming back to the Krishna, actually, now, the task what he has done right from the childhood are uh, not... uh, very easily palatable to understand by anybody. Hmm. Uh, but those sort of things have been done by Krishna so that so he could uh, actually uh, help uh, the, uh, for example, favorable people or for example, his uh, favorites or something like that, so that he wants to grant. And he is uh, all-powerful uh, and compared to like... Uh, 
not materialistic uh, this thing there his uh, uh, his ability to show some sort of uh, yogic power hmm. so considering that he is a very great personality and uh, he can do anything it's not just mundane and also it's not practically possible by a human being to dance with so many people to appear in front of everybody so these sort of uh, things are not uh, human so that way i'll try to convince them and also then talk to them create some sort of favorable impression towards uh, krishna hmm. uh, then i'll try to explain the other subject in a gradual way this is how maras thank you okay yeah it sounds like i think the first part what you were saying is helping people to understand by beginning with what they're familiar with the potential of even very young people to learn uh to every everyone has certain capacities so then expanding that um in a sense a kind of like we mentioned on saturday a kind of kaimutya nyaya that if we are capable to do something how much more god is capable to do something yeah basically i instigate them to understand that all impossible things he is doing so that he is not human plane he is a extraordinary yeah. um, beyond the human plane this is how i want to impress them so that they'll try to believe slowly and then that's yeah. how i just thinking of it now yeah um, but i'm thinking the reasoning goes in two directions one is starting from where we are we have uh special abilities and then god has um much more special abilities and then looking back from the, that position to our position accepting that his abilities must be so much more than ours yeah very nice okay thank you thank you i am i'm remembering just now several years ago uh, i was uh, teaching in one university in hong kong chinese university of hong kong um i was a regular instructor for one semester and i uh in the department of uh cultural and religious studies i was um given opportunity to give an entire course on um indian religion and it was completely introductory for undergraduate students and i structured it as each week was a new biography of a specific person and then through this one biography we would discuss so many different themes so i started uh the first week we talked about lord buddha because chinese people are familiar to some extent with buddha but they generally forget that it's all coming from india so we discussed his story and then the next week was uh the week for discussing krishna the life of krishna and <laughs> i always remember that uh at one point i mentioned to them so according to the shrimad bhagavatam krishna had 16108 wives <laughs> 
And I think from the entire course, uh, in any case regarding Krishna, that was the one thing that they remembered, the students remembered. Krishna had 16,000 wives. <laughs> they may not remember anything else, but at least that. Yeah, so... Mm, you never know in such circumstance what someone is going to, what's going to stick, what is. Um, but I was also teaching, uh, before that I was teaching for one year at the University of Florida in the U.S. Uh, again, introductory course in religions of India. And and it was like a survey course, and one didn't have a lot of time to discuss what one wants to. But so one day I decided uh, to have a lesson on the Mahabharata. One and the the periods of the classes were less than one hour. They were like I think only fifty minutes. I guess they see that young undergraduates have not so much attention span. Anyway, so I thought, all right, what can I say in 15 minutes? What can we, how can I introduce the Mahabharata? This is an incredibly elaborate story. Anyway, I managed uh, to do something. And that particular day, uh, one of my godbrothers who lives there in Gainesville, who is himself a scholar, uh, he's uh, an historian of science, he, um, he sat in the class. He was curious. He, I, he asked me, could, I, he, could he sit in the class? I said, sure. So he sat in the back. And then after the class, I expressed to him my feeling of frustration. Oh, you know, what? what is the use of just 50 minutes telling Mahabharata? Uh, and he said, don't worry about it. You have put the Mahabharata on their screen on their on the antenna on the screen of their mind now they are aware there is something and you never know someone in the future they may want to learn more and then uh, it will be for their benefit so he said you're just putting it on he said you're putting it on their radar something to be aware of so that's all one could expect. In any case, we certainly want to go much deeper. <laughs> and so uh, this is our attempt in, in the Shastra courses to go deeply into the Bhagavatam. Okay, um, did anyone else want to share something, your thoughts of how to be a tour guide? For Rasalila. Anyone else venture? Okay, you you can continue to think about that if you like. And may I speak, Maharaj? Oh yes. So uh, generally, I was thinking that it is a good to approach uh, 
dance as an expression of joy mm. uh, and then uh, uh, take it from there to explain uh, the experience of uh, eternal joy of spirituality and mm. the mundane joy of the real world mm. differentiate mundane joy to the spiritual joy of happiness mm. and then uh, explain about the conception of uh, the identity of body uh, being different from the identity of soul Mm-hmm. and the uh, source of happiness source of misery uh, and mm-hmm. then uh, explain the tattva uh, starting from the point of uh, identifying dance as an expression of joy mm. very nice yes very good um, possibly related uh, to this is you could explain the difference between karma and li- and lila Mm-hmm. And uh, the word karma, you know, it's it's always good to start with something people are familiar with. Uh, so now, very much in, in the Western world, the word karma has become a kind of household word, although people don't have much understanding about it, but at least they have some idea. Uh, and so in a similar way, you can start by saying, well, karma, what is it? It's it's what we're all involved in, and it's causing, it's implicating us in so many ways. But when we talk about uh, God, he is mm, like us. He's also active, but when he's active, there's no karma, there's lila. And what is that, Leela? It is uh, ever-expanding joy. So like that, you could make some connection. Okay. Um, good. Well, let's, let's move on. Um, somebody's microphone is on. Is that Divya Leela? Davy Dossi, I think you might have your microphone unmuted if you're there she doesn't seem to be there now okay um good let's proceed so let's let's now say let's discuss a little about commentary and here i want to before we go into specifics want to share with you one or two points about commentary in general. <clears throat> there is a book um, for Sanskrit students, which is called Scholastic Sanskrit, a handbook for students. It's a technical book um, in English, but it's uh, for learning Sanskrit. But it's not a Sanskrit primer. It's not uh, the general. Rather, it's for students who have already become reasonably knowledgeable in the uh, essentials of Sanskrit grammar. And they want to read commentary. So this book by uh, two professors, Gary Tubb and Emery Bose, 
um, is specifically for that. They go through some of the some of the standard features of commentarial Sanskrit language, not just of the Bhagavatam is one, but of so much literature, so much of the Sanskrit literature uh, is commentarial or is commentary on other texts. So one thing that they explain in the beginning of their book is that commentary, Sanskrit commentary invariably has five functions. Not all of them will be uh, visible in any given commentary, but uh, there are five different possible functions that they can have. And the first of these is padacheda. Padacheda means the division of words uh, and the resolving of external sandhi. So as probably most of you know, one of the things that makes Sanskrit a kind of dense language is that uh, words may be connected, so to say, through um, changes which are referred to as following rules called sandhi rules. And sometimes the separating of words that are otherwise seeming kind of, let's say, stuck together by Sunday rules, sometimes it's not a completely easy to see how they should be separated. And of course, it can also happen that there may be more than one way to separate, and that leads to can lead to interesting different interpretations of a verse or a passage. So, padacheda is the first function. Uh, the second one is padartokti, uh, the uh, explanation of the meanings of words. Um, this is usually done with synonyms, single word cinema, synonyms, uh, sometimes paraphrasing. And there can also be, within this category, there may also be definitions. Um, there may also be examples. The sort of general term we use in English for this is gloss. To gloss a word is to give a synonym, a, a, a word that means the same thing, but it's a different word. Um, now, before I go on with this, um, in your own reading of the Bhagavatam, some of you may notice that the translations are somewhat, sometimes, not always, but sometimes a bit expanded from 
the Sanskrit. They're a bit more, of course, there will almost invariably, there'll be more words just because of the nature of Sanskrit and the nature of English language and many modern languages. But also there may, may be, um, sometimes Prabhupada will insert an entire phrase to explain, uh, to make clear the translation, because what he's doing is sort of weaving in uh, something from, typically from one of the commentaries, uh, very often from Srila Sridhar Swami, um, who in particular seems uh, to be especially interested in just clarifying the meaning of words, uh, though sometimes he does more than that. Uh, the third function is called vigraha, and in this context, vigraha means the grammar, the grammatical form, uh, which is sometimes needing clarification. Sometimes the grammatical form of a, of a particular word um, will not be standard. It will be something not standard. Um, since Panini has uh, written, composed his Ashtadhyayi, uh, Sanskrit grammar, everything fell into place. Everyone, any com composing of Sanskrit followed his rules. Somehow uh, there was no competition. <laughs> and uh, he's given the standard for classical Sanskrit ever since. And this is in contrast to uh, the four Vedic Samhitas and other earlier texts, the, the, the Upanishads also, and the Brahmanas and so on, there the grammar will be somewhat different. It might be more irregular. Um, well, there's other things about Vedic uh, Sanskrit, but the point is, in classical language, it's quite standard, but still sometimes there will be uh, something that's not standard. And in such case, uh, it can happen that a commentator will call attention to that uh, unstandard grammar and will typically excuse it and the standard excuse is arsha prayoga. Uh, this is an an application prayoga uh, of the nature of the rishis. In other words, the composer is respected as being a great uh, acharya, and therefore is not to be his his writing is not to be tampered with, even though, according to the standard uh, grammar, it would be wrong. So they'll, they'll just say, Arsha Prayoga, and then they'll move on. 
Yeah, so vigraha is like that. It's about clarifying grammar. It also can be, there may be some complex uh, formations, formulations, so these will be analyzed. Uh, then the next uh, one, two, three, four. Uh oh.